The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City. Good morning, friends. My name is Johnny. I'm reading the scripture today. Would you please stand if you are able? We're reading 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all of my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind, love does not envy, it is not boastful, it is not arrogant, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, as I am fully known. Now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Ah, oh, man, good morning. And uh, I, I'm so excited uh, to be here with you this morning in our Burbank location at Story City Church. We're excited to have you uh, with us this morning as we gather to celebrate who God is and what he has done and is doing and will do through us. I'm excited to share God's word with you this morning. I think, I think we have something special for us as we go through his word today. But before we get into that, I'd love just to take a moment to lift up a quick prayer for Pastor Jared, who isn't feeling well this morning. And so if you guys would just join me and let's pray for our pastor. Father God, we lift up Pastor Jared. We are thankful for his heart and continual service to our church. God, we are thankful for uh, how much you provide for him in all ways. And so, Lord, we lean into that knowing that your promises are true looking back at your faithfulness to our own lives, to this church, and as we have seen in testimony to the Oslier family. God, we lean into those promises that you would be a comfort and a healer to Pastor Jared, that he would have a strong endurance even now as he just is fighting off being sick. And God, that you'd bring a quick healing uh, to, to, so that he can get back to what he loves, which is shepherding his church, your church, uh, and serving for your kingdom, Lord. We lift up Jared, we lift up the Oslier family in your holy name. Amen. 
Amen. Well, as you uh, can tell, uh, in case you were looking at the notes and you're like, wait, this says that it's going to be Pastor Jared this morning. Uh, I am not Jared unless he grew a lot of hair and uh, both on face and on head. And I say all this knowing that he's watching live. I see you. Um, <laughs> But uh, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Jared's not feeling well, and, wanted, and I just want you guys to know he wanted nothing more than, than to be here this morning with you and to serve with you. Um, but uh, through his heart of service and wanting to be a good steward and shepherd for us, uh, not just in his own health, but making sure to protect uh, the health of our congregation, he just wanted to make sure uh, to, to keep everyone safe this morning, not to share germs. And so, um, so it, it kills him to stay home, uh, but, uh, but he wanted to steward and love you all well. Um, and, uh, but, but one thing that's really cool in case you guys don't know, uh, every single Tuesday, uh, our, we have a preaching team that comes together almost every Tuesday and, uh, and we build the weekly sermons together. Uh, it's this, our, our, Bur- our Burbank location meets with our Granada location. Um, we have a lot of servants that, that are on the preaching team that come and help build up our messages and our exegesis of scripture and everything. So preaching does not happen in a vacuum. Uh, it's not alone for one person to interpret. And our elders and our pastor has done an incredible job at honoring God's word and what takes place up here on a stage for every single Sunday. And, and so not only do they work together to find out, hey, where are we headed with scripture and what are we going to be preaching on and teaching on this week? But every time, whoever's teaching that weekend, they walk away from, from, the, from that meeting and they start to begin to write their messages. And uh, towards Thursday and Friday, they, 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 on our timeline, we try and build out our, our sermon uh, that's written out. And we send it then to our elders and everybody else on the preaching team so they can review it even before, a, before Sunday comes. And it's because of this high standard uh, of our, set by our elders and by our pastors uh, that, uh, that I was even equipped to be able to come before you this morning. And so I share that because uh, I want you to know that there's a lot of care behind delivering God's word. And, there's a, and, and our elders and our pastors uh, really try and steward and shepherd that well. Um, I don't, and and so, so heading into our message this morning... I don't know uh, what you've gone through this week. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there seems to be a bug going around, and, and people are starting to fall, you know, get a little under the weather. It's the change in weather that's happening. I, I don't know. I, I continuously share with people I hate the sun because uh, I do. I do not like to sweat. That's why I moved from Phoenix. And then people are like, you moved to L.A. Like, what, do you, what did you expect? Um, so I don't know. I don't know for you um, uh, if, if you've been feeling just like fighting off some uh, some illness or whether or not this week was additionally stressful for you. Uh, I know that kids are, our, our kids, our students are heading towards summer and end of school and, and it can cause a lot of just anxiety and pressures in the home. I don't know what you've been facing this week personally, relationally, uh, but I want, if you haven't heard it or if you haven't been reminded or if you don't believe it, I want you to know that you're deeply loved. You are seen, you are loved, and even further inside of that love, you are valued. You have value, and you are valued. Do me a favor, just turn to the person next to you and tell them you're valued. Yeah, there we go. Look at that, man. 
after a couple of times of, of sharing. And I didn't even have to tell you to tell the other person on the other side this time. I love it. You guys are learning. In fact, if you're, if you're taking notes today, uh, this is going to be our big idea. If you don't remember anything else, I want you to remember this. And if you're writing anything down, I want you to write this down. True love creates value. True love creates value. If you're going to leave and you're going to go to breakfast and somebody is to say, hey, so what would you think of the message this morning? You, I want you to be able to say, true love creates value. And, and so go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And as you're opening up, let me just tell you as we go through this passage, we will see that true love creates value in us, through us, and around us. We're going to see that true love creates value in us, through us, and around us. As we get into this passage and this message today, many of you might recognize it. You might have been to a wedding before and heard somebody teach on the characteristics of love. Uh, people will look at this passage like, this is the love chapter, and often gets taught at marriages, at weddings. In fact, my go-to sermon at a wedding is this passage. And while it specifically addresses what true gospel-centric love is driven and motivated by, I don't want us to lose the context of why Paul is speaking and what Paul is speaking about here. Because we're going through a series through 1 Corinthians. And as we get to the love chapter, as we get to this passage, this is not something that is then pulled away from the rest of 1 Corinthians. There's a purpose here. And last week we talked about spiritual gifts. This week we're talking about love. Those things are not separate. Those things have a purpose. And so we're going to lean into this for a moment. For those of you who have not been with us since the beginning of this series, let me just lay a little groundwork for you. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth as they were navigating what it meant to be apprentices of Jesus. Amid an influential and wealthy city, much like Los Angeles. During Paul's second missionary journey, he had a vision of a person asking him to come to the region around the city of Corinth where it was located. Paul chose Corinth because of its strategic importance to that region. Corinth had been a, a dormant but was rebuilt by Julius Caesar more than 100 years before Paul arrived. It was a city that had two ports. It was a very strategic location. It had two ports that, that linked Rome on one side and Asia on the other. Commerce happened in and through Corinth. By Paul's time, Corinth was the largest city in Roman Greece. The city was a culture-making cosmopolitan hub filled with many new, wealthy, up-and-coming young people. Author Anthony Thurselton writes that Corinth deeply valued competitiveness, self-achievement, self-promotion, self-sufficiency, wisdom, knowledge, and autonomy and freedom as the ethos of their city. In other words, Burbankonians and Angelinos have much more in common with ancient Corinth. In his book entitled Paul, N.T. Wright says some things that I think are very important as we look, as we take a, a, if we were to put a filter to read this passage and to understand this passage of love, there's an important filter that we can learn from N.T. Wright's book entitled Paul. In there he says, he writes that Paul didn't see Christianity as a new religion, but as the correct direction of Judaism with the coming of the Jesus as Messiah. 
Because Jesus fulfilled the sacramental and the ceremonial laws, those practices no longer needed to be followed. That's why we don't offer animal sacrifices anymore. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice and the sustaining sacrifice. And the Holy Spirit had been made, had made it clear that this, that this is now a relationship with God. Once reserved only for the chosen people of Israel, now it was available to the rest of the world. The Old Testament had promised would, that the Old Testament promise would happen someday. And as Pastor Brian spoke so beautifully last, last week about how the Holy Spirit came and empowered people that it had never empowered before. While the Holy Spirit had enabled and empowered people before, it was never uh, on the believer that was empowered until the Spirit was sent to glorify Jesus and held us glor- to glorify Jesus as he glorifies the Father. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit was now available to all believers and not just held on at at specific anointed times. And with the newness of these gifts, the church was bound to to not know how to use them well. I mean, think about it. Everything was new. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, what, what happened with the early church, that, this, that the Holy Spirit of God, uh, a person of the Trinity, came and dwelled among humanity. And these are a people that are broken and lost and had no context for God. This wasn't just Jewish people. Now it's to the Gentiles. And they're receiving the person and all the gifts that come with the person of the Holy Spirit. And they're experiencing something new that they couldn't wrap their mind around. And so Paul is having to speak to them and correct them and talk to them to get them to understand who this person is and what is coming with him. In other words, as these gifts came to somebody who's new, uh, it's almost like if you were to uh, take a room of junior hires and hand them all real lightsabers. Somebody would cut off their arm before the, before the pastor or leader could tell them what to do and before anybody could say wizard. Like, it would be, there would be pandemonium. And we see this happen in the, in the church of Corinth. Pandemonium, confusion. It's why Paul had to write to them and explain to them who this person was, what is happening, and now we see it come into the lens as we walk into 1 Corinthians 13, as as Paul begins to write, this is why. This is why. Previously, we stood to honor God's word, and now I just simply ask you to prepare your hearts to hear, hear God's word, inspired by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, directly to us this morning as we dig into 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all the faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. See, love is patient, and love is kind. Love does not envy, it is not boastful, it is not arrogant, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking. It is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes in all things, and it endures all things. Love never ends. 
But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So as we dig into the crux of this passage, as we dive in to get to the heart and the purpose of this passage, right in the middle of speaking on the importance on all of the gifts and ensuring that there is a unity and a love in the exercising of those gifts that we read in 1 Corinthians 12, it's as if Paul seemingly breaks out of that and starts to speak on love, almost as if it's a separate thing. I think Paul gets to a point where he steps back from his passionate correction and sort of breathes for a minute in his letter before resetting what the discussion is all about. For Paul, this isn't about how we use gifts, but whether or not we are actually loving each other in everything that we do. So Paul's comments on love are not a standalone part in the chapter, and they don't represent all that love is or does. Anthony Thistleton writes, the qualities that Paul ascribes to love, however, are those that throughout the epistle he views as spiritual in the sense of being animated and activated by the Holy Spirit in accordance with the wisdom of God and the mind of Christ. The key to the nature of love is concern and respect for the other, which is also the connecting thread that runs throughout the epistle. And by epistle, we mean the book of 1 Corinthians. In other words, Paul is tying everything in the letter, everything, all chapters, is being threaded in and woven in right here in 13. It is love. Paul is trying everything in this letter by saying, if you want to get out and you want to stay out of the mess that you're in, you're in a messy church with messy people. And if you're wanting a direction, which isn't bad, but we need to make sure that we don't stay in the mess. If you want out and if you want to pursue God, and you want to be God's people, if you want out, learn to actually love one another. Not just to say it, not just to feel it, but to be love to one another. And that applies to the gifts, it applies to communion, it applies to the order of service, and so on and so on, and everything else that we read in 1 Corinthians. With that in mind, let's dig in a little bit to take some verses step by step. Looking at verse 1, If I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. See, the words here in in this interpretation for a noisy gong or clanging cymbal actually give us too much of an idea that it's close to one singular instrument. It's It's actually best understood as a continual noise that has no redeeming musical value. It's like Taylor Swift. You guys, you guys, guys, this is serious, okay? This is the word of God. 
But it's, not, it's, it's easy to look at this and say, oh, it's a noisy gong, it's a noisy cymbal, as if it's just like my two-year-old on the drum kit just going bang, 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 over and over and over again, as if it's something that's isolated and alone. But what, what it's talking about with the, with the, as it being a noisy gong or clinging cymbal, it's like an orchestra where everyone's doing their own thing and there's no harmony, there's no purpose, there's no, there's no actual music being made. There's no benefit, there's no gift, there's no purpose. And so, if without love, there is no harmony, there is no purpose, it is lacking. Paul continues into verse 2, And if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. You guys, if there's no love, then all that knowledge is useless. For what is the purpose of knowledge? What is the purpose of gifts if not to love and glorify God who is love? Verse 3, and if I give away all my possessions and if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. It doesn't matter how, how generous you or I am. Even if I'm generous to the point of death, if I am unloving, it is for nothing. Paul is calling us back to this idea of love, that love as the heart behind it all. The word love here is easily robbed or diminished in the English language. It, it is to say just love. And yet in the Greek, there are four different terminologies, four different words that all mean love, but for different purposes. For the sake of time, I can't dive into each one and each purpose, but the, the word here for love is agape. It's this overflowing, pursuitful love. That he says. Paul chooses the word agape here. Understanding agape, agape is the key to understanding to the rest of what Paul is trying to communicate. Paul wants, to, wants love to be the driving force, the motivation behind it all. In this part of the passage specifically, Paul wants us to be aware of the heart behind our interactions with God and with others. And even ourselves in the exercising of the gifts. We're going to focus on Paul's look at love in order for us to learn how to apply everything. In verse 4, it says, Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it is not boastful, it is not arrogant, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking. It is not irritable, and it is not, does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. And as for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. See, love is more. It's more than just this. But it is at least these things. It is at least kindness. It is at least patient. And we say that it is not all of these things, that this isn't just all that love is, because 1 John tells us that God is love. And so therefore, all descriptors cannot be confined just to this passage. But this gives us a great window into the character and the person of God, who is love. If God is love, then that means everything outside of God is just a cheap imitation of love. 
If you want to love, if you want to learn to love, if you want to be someone who loves God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loves others, then you need to be rooted in Jesus. Because outside of the person of God who is love, every other manifestation of love is like a shadow. It's just a cheap imitation. Love has to come from the source, from God. And this brings us to our first observation for today. If you're taking notes, this is the first fill-in. True love creates value in us. Any and all true love we have for others is only truly possible when we understand how we have first been loved by God. There's no inherent value of love. It is something that is given by the personal relationship of God. Any and all true love we have for others is only truly possible when we understand how we have first been loved by God. One author writes, agape denotes a love that is spontaneous, unmotivated, creative, and free. Christians are not to love only those whom they find attractive or who share their values, social status, or theology. What motivates Christian love is a prior experience of the love of Christ, not a reciprocal return to those who are kind to us. This is the essence of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we have become ambassadors because Christ first reconciled us, that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation because in the pursuit of Jesus, he first reconciled us to the Father. We love because we have been loved. I think one of the struggles for us as humans is to recognize and embrace truly how depraved and bad we really are. We don't like that because it immediately, as if it immediately attacks our value. If we are to admit that we're sinners, and not just sinners like I screw up a little bit, but like we were to truly carry the weight of how heinous and how bad sin is as a whole and how it's a cancer to our heart, soul, minds, and body, we lose sight of that. We lose sight of it because there's so much about trying to, uh, in our culture that's trying to uplift self. You know, what the number, you know what the largest category is in a, in a library? If you were to go to Barnes & Nobles, what the largest category is? It's self-help. It has the most books because that's where the value in our culture currently is. And so it's, it's, it's hard for the Christian or for, for the non-believer to, to try and look at God and come to an understanding and wrestle with the uneasiness that is we are depraved. We are sinners and in light of God, that there's nothing that we have to offer except for ourselves. And this can be uneasy because it draws an attention to who we are. And, we, and, and, we get, and it, by our selfish nature, we get so caught up in that truth about what that means for us that we lose sight of what that means about who God is in, his, in the larger narrative. We're uneasy because when we start talking about, I'm a sinner, and when we start to, to, uh, acknowledging that I'm messed up or even using strong language like depraved, we so easily start focusing on how that now makes me feel. We now start thinking about how that affects my identity. 
Because I think the trick of the enemy in that is then to have us focus in on how we view ourselves by that truth and knowledge rather than how God views us by that truth and knowledge. It enhances who God is and his character. So let's, let's, let's think further into that. So Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18 says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is, there is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their, with their tongues. Vipers' venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is a person, a human, apart from a relationship with God. I don't know about you, but when I hear this, I'm immediately pushing back in my mind. My defenses, my walls, they go up. I'm not like that. The person that's, that, that I love is not like that. But it is. It is us. Every one of us. Except for the grace of God and the changing of our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Not through our own efforts. The Bible is clear on that. But only through the Holy Spirit so that we have nothing to boast about. There's nothing that we can ever say or attribute and say, well, I did this. I've earned my way to heaven. God has to love me. Look at what I've done. It is all from the Holy Spirit. I want to stop for a moment so that we can be honest for ourselves. See, God doesn't care about the action as much as he cares about the heart behind the action. I've said this so many times. God doesn't necessarily care about the action so much as the heart behind the action. What is of first importance, it's never an excuse. Let me be clear. It's never an excuse for a sin or, or something to take place. But what is of first concern is the motivation is the heart that expresses itself in an action. This is why the concern isn't focused as much on the action as it is the, heart, the, 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 the status of the heart, the motivations behind what we do. When we realize how much and how often we fail to meet God's standard of goodness, it is nothing short of, of overwhelming you see, there's freedom on both sides as we view that, that it's not so much about the action as it is the motivation because on one side, there's a, 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 there's a freedom from having to carry the weight of morality. There's a freedom from having to walk the line of how, how, where's that line and when do I become unredeemable? It erases that line based off of our actions because what God's pursuit is is after our heart. There is a freedom in this, as well as an empowerment, knowing that it is, if it is God who chose us, it means that it is God who sustains us. It means that even as I walk into and I admit and I say, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I'm, I'm going to reach into the hope that is this person of Jesus Christ. That is, if it's not on my own efforts, if it's not on my own morality, but it is Christ who is the Redeemer, it is by the Holy Spirit, if it is by the power of God, then there is a freedom for the believer now moving forward not to now think that the weight of their eternal uh, relationship with God is on their own backs and shoulders, but it is sustained by the person of God. 
one of the values that we, that we say here at Story City, that we have here at Story City, is that we are real and redeemed. What does that mean? It means that we believe that our story is most, is most impactful when it is honest and transparent. But honesty about our situation without the hope of, re- of our restoration, it leads us nowhere. So we believe that we are called to point our lives to Jesus through our brokenness, not apart from it. In being honest about our shortcomings while pointing others to Jesus through our healing, we show what it means to be both real and redeemed. In order to live this way, we need to learn how to balance faith and failure and understand that our limp enriches our legacy. In other words, our story helps shape the way that we love and serve Jesus and others. The limp from our painful experiences does not hinder our legacy, but enriches it. For those taking notes, this brings us to our second observation for today. True love creates value through us. There's an exercise that I want you to do with me. I want you to think of somebody that you love. And I want you to think of that person as we look back at, the, at verses 4 through 7. And in place of the word love, I want you to put, I want you to put your name in that place in, in view of the person that you love. So looking at the verses, Justin is patient. Justin is kind. Justin does not envy. He's not boastful. He's not arrogant. He's not rude. He's not self-seeking. He's not irritable. and does not keep a record of wrongs. Justin finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. He bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. If God is love, and if I am to be an imitator of Christ, to put on Christ, this is the person I try to become. In all relationships to God and to others, As I do weddings, often I get to this point, and I try to encourage uh, those that are standing up there, do not pursue patience to be patience. Do not pursue kindness to be kind. Pursue Christ to become Christ. Put on Christ to be Christ. And exercise patience, because that's who Christ is. In that same way, if our identity, if we are shaped by Jesus if we are shaped by his love, then to be Christ is to be patient. And to to be Christ is to be kind. And to be Christ means to not be envious, is to not be boastful, is to not be arrogant or rude, and so on. So singles, husbands, wives, there are some words in there that are just for you. When we look at love, not as, as some obligation we have to fulfill, but as the privilege of sharing what we first received, then the modeling of what we have been modeled for us, the graciousness of what has been given, how could we not love others in the ways that we have already been loved? This brings us to our third and final observation. True love creates value around us. True love creates value around us. What would happen to the relationships around us to our friend groups and our work groups and our communities if we loved with a true love, not because it was earned, but because it was simply what we did in gratitude for the love we didn't deserve either? What if we led with that humility 
of I didn't deserve this love, but look at, uh, but let me tell you about, about love. Let me tell you about who love is and how that love has transformed my life. I do a lot of relationship counseling. I, uh, I, do, it can be, I do business uh, relationship counseling, marriage counseling, family counseling, and even friendship counseling. One of the things that we talk about a lot in counseling is that we can force others to change. We cannot force others to change. You cannot force others to change. Because <laughs> often what will happen is one party will come into the counsel, counseling session and they'll be complaining about their partner, about the other person. And like, you wouldn't believe what they do. They're doing this and they're doing this and it's driving me nuts or it's hurting my identity. It's hurting these things. And they just want to list, can you, can you just tell me how to get them to fix X, Y, and Z? And that's why I have a rule that when I do counseling with an individual, I make sure to tell them, hey, I don't care about the other person. You can share. I care what it, how it affects you. You can share from, from you and what you're, what you're holding and what you're wrestling with. But we're not talking about the other person. We're, gonna, we're only going to focus in on you. We're only focusing in on Justin. How does Justin receive those, the hurt and the, and the actions of that other person? And how do we now heal and move forward to love that person? We focus in on, the, on you as the individual. And why? Because as we start recognizing our own hurts, habits, and hang-ups and doing the work with the Holy Spirit in our own lives, it's amazing how often that can change in us and help us bring change in other people and our communities around us. See, in the end, what really matters is love. It truly is what matters. Paul continues on in this section and brings us back to the question of spiritual gifts. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part and prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love never ends. Love never ends. One day when Jesus returns to, see all things, to set all things right, to see the final restoration, the fullness of his kingdom come in new heavens and a new earth. Prophecy will not have a place. Tongues will not have a place. Knowledge won't be a gift because God will be present with his people and he will be all that we need. That's what it means when the perfect comes. Paul, in a very loving way, says we all have to grow up. We all have to grow up. We have to pay attention to what matters and invest in what is most important. Faith, hope, and love will remain because God is our faith, hope, and love. So a lot of things have been said this morning. And so I want to just recap shortly so that we can walk away with these things written on our hearts. True love creates value in us. We give because of what we have received. True love creates value through us. God is making his appeal to mankind through us. True love creates a value around us. God will redeem others around us through love. And if, if we need to anchor ourselves, I have two verses come to mind. First is Romans 5.8. For God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. 
And 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, you were bought at a price. See, what constitutes something's value? Earlier, you guys looked at, you, you guys in your minute to mingle talked about what it is that you value. But the, my question is, what constitutes something's value? How does something determine its value and worth? See, the thing is, is that value comes from what you're willing to pay for it. Whatever you're willing to pay for something, that is now its value. It's kind of crazy how we can just say, I think this is going to be worth this. Because it's, it's whatever, whatever someone's willing to pay for it, that's what its value is. That's why housing markets can go up. That's why taxes can go up. Because what, what is willing to be paid for, that's why money goes back and forth on value. So let me, let me make sure something is very clear. You are valued because God himself said your value is worth his life. You are valued not because of some ethereal, like, oh, you're human, so therefore you have value. You are valued because you were made in God's image. There was a fall, and God said, not on my watch. I'm putting on flesh, and I'm going to redeem humankind. I'm going to die for them. That is what is what you're worth. And it's not just the value of the people that are in this room or inside of church or believe in Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That means every human being has an innate value and then is now on the church. It is on God's people who have first received now to go love the world into relationship with him. So let me put it this way. I've been a youth pastor. I had been a youth pastor for a long time, youth and young adults. And I have counseled many young women who have been looking for their spouse or somebody to date. And it baffles me when I get reports back, when they come in so excited and bright-eyed. Justin, I think I found a godly man. I think I found a good one. And I'm, I'm excited. So I'm like, cool. So how do you know? What is it? And they say, well, he, he was such a gentleman. That's great. What, what did he do? He held the door open for me. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, have we lost our way so badly that being a gentleman has now been simplified to just holding a door? But in the same way, perhaps holding the door open is not enough of a good representation of, of God's love for others. Perhaps in the same way, we don't just do little acts of kindness, little moments of love in hopes that one day someone will go, hey, you always hold the door open. Why? Oh, let me tell you about Jesus. Oh. I think that we need to challenge ourselves and push ourselves to be a little bit more bold in our faith. Because what that love is supposed to do, what our love and kindness and patience and all these things is supposed to do, it's supposed to lead to who we're imitating, God who is love. So if our loving actions do not spark a God conversation, I want to challenge you a little bit that maybe you're not being bold enough in your love. We need as chosen, loved, valued children of God to love one another in such a way that it sparks the God conversation, that it brings value to a society and to a people who are lacking identity and are trying to define themselves and find an answer for who they are in so many different things. This is the gift. 
You are deeply loved and valued by God. You are chosen by God. Let us now take on this love and let us pursue our neighbors and our cities in a way that in our love glorifies who is love, that is God and Jesus Christ. True love creates value, and when we learn to love God, our, ourselves, and others with true love, we see that love creates value in us, through us, and around us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are love. I thank you, God, that in some way, God, you chose us. In some way, in the beginning of creation, when you said, I'm going to make man in my image, God, that there's an inherent value to humankind, but you didn't leave us to our own devices, that even in the fall, you knew, Jesus, you knew that you were going to put on flesh, that the creator was going to take on the image of the created, that there was going to be a redeemable value inside of your good creation, and that, God, that you have chosen us, that you did the work, God, that we have nothing to hold on to but your love. That we have nothing to hold on to but your pursuit of us. God, help us rest in that pursuit every single day of our lives. To find our value and our worth and our image in you and you alone. And God, may that stirring of redemption and value and love encourage us and make us bold to move and to love others. That our community would be a light to the world because of your love. Lord Jesus, come. Amen.